So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. Sorry we're a bit late this week. Um, if Ian starts coughing and spluttering it's because he's recovering from the dreaded leggy. He's succumbed to it. He had Covid. It's on the mend now so held off a few days but it might be the odd cough and splutter. But um, yeah that's why we're a bit late this week but fortunately season's ended so it's not the end of the world. This week we'll cover our last game of the season. We'll look at the season just gone. Try and find some good bits of it. Might be a bit tricky. Have a quick talk about maybe another couple of signings or interesting bits of player news and then um, just obviously the usual little bits of rugby chat. So as always you can find us on social media. Yeah, so on Facebook, if you type in Folk on Falcons, you'll see our logo. And on Twitter, if you simply type in at Folk on Falcons, you'll see the same logo, which of course is our page. Yes, and it's worth mentioning before we get cracking with the main podcast, if you remember those social media details, we're hoping to do a podcast over the summer with representatives from regional rugby clubs to cover the season just gone and also look ahead to the season coming up so if you know anybody at your local club or you want to speak on behalf of your local club then please do get in contact and we'll look to include you on a little guest episode we'll plan at some point over the next few weeks so if we move on to the game itself now apart from a 10 minute spell in the second half it was pretty dire stuff wasn't it well yeah it was kind of in what we sort of expected and feared really wasn't it it didn't take them long to rack up the bonus point try very obvious they had a hell of a lot to play for they knew what their job was just had to beat us and they were guaranteed top four and that's what they did they put us to the sword I mean they I'll beat you to try to make it entertaining by going to Gloucester and saying oh well Gloucester ahead of us you know, beating Saracens or ever, et cetera, et cetera. But then, of course, say, oh, it doesn't really matter, of course, because this was only going to change. And I think that was already about half an hour in. Really, really disappointing. But like like you just said, could we expect any different, really? Um, and apart from that 10-minute purple patch after half-time half when things look like it may get a bit interesting, maybe we get a try bonus point. No, well, Northampton kind of got themselves into gear again and carried on where they left off for half-time, really. Yeah, so as you say, there was that purple patch just after half-time when we played a bit of champagne rugby. There was a great flowing move or two that we managed to put together for the first time in what feels like eons. And yeah, we, we almost got ourselves back in the game. We got to within, I think, 10 or a dozen points or so. And then, lo and behold, Northampton turned the screw and before you know it, they scored another three or four tries themselves and that was it. Game over. Well, yeah, um, I mean... The Radwan try we scored in particular, it actually was one of the ones nominated for trying the season, funnily enough, um, after the round finished. Um, but it was, it's, I mean, there were lots of problems, but it was a defence again, wasn't it? We finally clawed ourselves into the game. And then all it took was Northampton to kind of string a few moves together, which to be fair, they are very good at. And that's why they are competing there in the top four. Just needed them to do that and they just tore us to ribbons and then of course the game just just went and away once more and I, I think in the circumstances I think we should have been looking for that bonus at least that try bonus point because we were fighting to not finish bottom leagues while we also had an eye on Baffin and Worcester um, and I think that would have at least given us something to play for as well and you know it, it's an extra point isn't it you know it's good for the record books I suppose but no it wasn't to be. Oh the last episode we spoke in trepidation um, based on Northampton requiring a, a victory to guarantee their own spot in the top four. We weren't terribly optimistic. And then during the week when they released the referees and it's going to be our friend Carl Dixon again, you kind of put your head in your hands and think, well, what have we done to deserve this? But then when you see the performance, we could have had anyone refereeing them the day and I think we would have still got handsomely beaten. So you can't really blame too much on him. Although I do think um, Robinson picking up his red card at the end was 
slightly harsh. The way it was portrayed as him doing a reckless tackle when effectively he ran into somebody, it seemed a bit unfair. And it's going to be interesting what sort of Barney picks up because they still haven't released disciplinary things this week. Maybe they're taking the time now the season's ends. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, we have to keep an eye on the start of the season for that, isn't it? Because, of course, he could miss the first game or two. Um you know, I don't think you can really say the red card changed much. Um, I know Northampton did very much take advantage of it as they got a good, having a good couple of tries at least in that 10 minute period. But it, it wasn't, it was a harsh one. I don't think it, you know, the way it is now, I'm not entirely sure if it was wrong, but I think it was very harsh because as you say, you just kind of ran, ran into him and they were going, but oh, he's going at speed and this and that. I think, well, so he should be, but, it was harsh, but we can't complain too much. I mean, the, the game was sort of long gone by then. It just, I suppose, made it look even worse. And it, it, it needn't be. I mean, again, it's been, like we said, week in, week out. Often it's cards, isn't it? Discipline and really silly cards at really important times. And we've got ourselves into good positions in games. We've either clawed it back or we've kind of been toe-to-toe with the opposition. And then we just do something stupid like that and just kind of throw out all the good work and less... So obviously against Southampton because we were so far behind anyway, but it just kind of I think that is, is indicative of how we've been all season. So in the second half of the season, I think once it became very apparent quite early in the game we we're going to struggle to win it. I think the only thing all of us were hoping for was George McQueen to get on the score sheet, and he certainly came close on a couple of occasions. And in good old English, we was robbed because. He certainly was. We got a penalty try awarded against whatever his name was. The scrum half, he got sinbinned. But lo and behold, obviously, he doesn't get the try against his name. Then about five minutes later, Max Malin scores um, Saracens. Yeah, well, I mean, I think when McGregor was denied, obviously, that try for the penalty try, you knew what was going to happen then. As you say, lo and behold, five minutes later, Max Malin scores. And I think by that point, Gloucester were well ahead as well. So it wasn't even like the try was sort of worthwhile or for worth for anything, really. And, you just, and of course, it could have been anyone scoring a try for Saracens, but it, it had to be Mainland. And uh, yeah, I mean, in many ways, that was almost the worst part of the day, actually, when you, when you had uh, McGregor sitting there looking pretty forlorn on the bench and Mainland's guaranteed to become top try scorer. I mean, yeah, uh, that was... I think mean, that that was sort of the the not very nice icing on a pretty stale cake, really, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, if you look at it this season, well, I guess you could argue McGuigan plays about two thirds, seventy five percent of most games because Blumeyer comes off the bench, whereas Maidens tends to play a full one. So you could argue on that basis, McGuigan's ratio is a lot better. But at the end of the day, it's going to be. Um, Maylander's name in the record book and not McGuigan's and part of me wonders why Dean Richards took him off would Bullemeyer really have begrudged it that much had McGuigan stayed on for the full 80 and maybe bagged another try because obviously Bullemeyer got one himself about five minutes after he went on the pitch so I don't know it just all things considered I was almost hoping for Bullemeyer to pick up an innocuous injury so McGuigan could go back on but not to be and there we go frustrating I suppose he does have the record for the most try score by a front rower which is, is something though I'm not sure if that would be much consolation and of course he had to dust himself down to uh, for the award ceremony because he did actually of course get into team of the season but alas he was without silverware for that. yeah um, that team of the season well, I don't think anyone's really doubting it too much but I was well certainly not from our contingent but um, it wouldn't have surprised me if the Premiership rugby just shoved in a creevy or someone like that because they felt like it. But no, they, they gave us a, an honourable mention there with McGuigan and I think he's thoroughly deserved it. But um, yeah, I wouldn't like to be sitting next to him on the bus on the way back to Franklin's Garden. I'll tell you that because I think he must have been absolutely furious or just gutted, one of the two. 
So we mentioned team of the season by the Premiership. If we look at our season as a whole, I think it's not a season of two halves. It's a season of one third, two thirds. The first third being reasonably good. Second two thirds been absolutely rubbish. Absolutely horrendous. We haven't got all the stats to hand, but I think the fact that we scored fewer than 10 points until Boxing Day cancellation against Sale sums it all up. Oh, yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for that Sale cancellation, we would have finished bottom of the league. Um, and I think probably of the course of the season, deservedly, because I know obviously Bath have been disastrous, but they've definitely recovered since the new year. I mean, they beat us, you know, at Kingston Park. Worcester have kind of been consistently not very good, which is what they seem to do. Um, but even then, they have the ability to pick up more points and score more tries here and then, which does give them the extra bonus point here and there. So I think we were, well, we were very lucky to not finish bottom because of that cancellation. That, that was all the difference was. And I think if you take away that cancellation, if you look at our total points over the past few years, including the season we got relegated. It is the worst. Um, I mean, I think I've sat here and said, and maybe we've sat here and said, or a lot of us have thought this is probably the worst it's been for, if not ever, at least for a very long time. And if you look at the league table, both in terms of league points and points difference, I think that, that actually backs us, that, that impression up. Um, it's been absolutely terrible. And I think it's very, very hard to find any sort of positives beyond you know, a few good wins at the start of the season. Both seasons we got relegated, 11-12 and 18-19 was the other one. We finished with six victories. This season, similarly, we finished with six victories, but one of those we got to remember is the Boxing Day game against Sale, where we got the walkover. So we actually, on field, won fewer games this year than we did the two years we got relegated um, and finished second bottom on the fact that we'd won that extra game versus Bath, whereas Bath actually won five on pitch, as did we. And that sums up quite the situation we're in. And um, the points difference this year is significantly worse than it was in 11-12 and also it's worse than it was in 18-19. It's interesting if you just look at the points spread in the Premiership over the years because the year we finished bottom the first time, 11-12, the range from the points difference in the top to the bottom was around 350, 400 points. If you look at it this year, we're looking at around... 600, 700 points difference between the team at the top of the league being your Leicester's. And then we didn't actually have the worst points difference this year. That went to Worcester and uh, followed by Bath. But we're looking at over 600 points as the difference between top and bottom points difference, which I think just shows the way that teams put other teams to the sword now, the expansive rugby, which is getting played a lot, and the way that the game maybe has changed over the last decade. Well, yeah, I think that's the other thing. Not if you kind of put points and your pure statistics on the league table to, to, to the side. If you look back at 1819, I think actually in terms of our performances, yes, there were some really, really poor performances that season, but I think that actually on the whole, we, we played better um, because we had, we were really unlucky in some games where we sort of lost narrowly where season before when we finished fourth, we actually won those games narrowly. And it's just, you know, it's the five margins didn't work out against us. But on the whole, I thought actually we, we were better. We were a better team. Um, and also that season, don't forget, we had the absolutely wonderful, memorable uh, Heineken Cup wins, which obviously we have nothing like that this season. Um, so despite getting relegated, you know, in some ways we can look back on that that season with a lot very, very fond memories in you know, Toulon, Montpellier, nothing like that this season whatsoever, um, barring maybe watching the highlights way to Exeter. Um, so, yeah, I think it also is indicative of the widening gap in terms of what you mentioned, where there seems to be more hammerings 
we seem to get beaten heavily every week at the moment. Um, and that, 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 I mean, that's happened before either. And you've shown that in terms of the, the points difference there between top and bottom. And I think that, if anything, that's going to get bigger because I've said it before in the previous weeks that there seems to be a growing gap now between sort of us and Worcester. I think, I think Bath will be better next season, but us and Worcester in particular and, and everyone else, especially the teams at the top. And I think that's a, you know, I don't think the salary cap change is going to make much difference to that actually in the short term. I think we're just going to see it actually get worse. And yeah, I, I can't see how we're going to try and overcome that. And I think we're going to have to do very, very well to not finish bottom next season. You mentioned that we lose heavily every week. And one thing that leads us on to is the coaching, but we haven't actually scored that many points either. If we look at the fact that Dave Walder's allegedly attack coach and is going to direct a rugby role, then we have to hope that somebody else becomes the attack coach and we score some points, or else if Dave Walder is still going to be the attack coach and director of rugby, then does that bode well? I'm not sure it does for going forward. And then at the back, you've really got to scratch your head and think, what's Nick Easter been doing? Has he been asleep on the job for half the year? Because at the start of the year, we actually played all right. Our defence wasn't always up there, but um, certainly last season, we started off and our defence was excellent. And then is it just that Nick Easter decided he's moving on and things have gone a bit haywire or... Are there fundamental problems that, that he's lost the team or the coaching setup's lost the team? Who knows? But one silver lining, I think, from all this is obviously the news that Mark Wilson, we knew, was likely to come back in some respect. It sounds like he's going to come back and be a defence coach, which, um, if nothing else, at least people will try because one thing you can't fault him for was his work rate. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the Wilson news is probably the worst kept secret in the club, but um, I think it's positive because, you know, he, he's very much liked and well-respected in that in that dressing room. And I think that in of itself, well, it's got to have some positive effect. Um, I don't think we can judge how good he's going to be as a coach. I mean, I think you can be optimistic he's going to be positive, but it's, it can't be much worse than it can be now, can it? And I think getting not only um, someone who you think it, it must be pretty competent and know his stuff, but also someone who is immensely liked at every level of the club has got to have a positive impact. In terms of sort of the coaching, when you say, you know, what's going on with attack coach, um, it does look like the world is going to become the new head coach. And you're reading, I was reading the paper and you read kind of other sort of, new, you know, national neutral websites, I can call it that. And they talk about, oh, what's that, what Falcons are going to be next season. I mean, they go down all the clubs and they say, oh, well, it could be a more attacking team, a more attacking mindset because Wald is going to be the head coach. But, you know, watching the games where he's kind of taken over as the head coach in cup games, I don't think we be any more attacking. Um, so I'm not quite sure where they kind of get that from. It is essentially the same coaching staff, isn't it? We've been over this, with the exception of Mark Wilson. I mean, is Mark Wilson there going to have that much positive impact in the grand scheme of things? Let's hope so. We just don't know at this stage. But um, we'll, we'll just have to see. But I think Mark Wilson in and of itself has, has got to be a positive. Yeah, and I think um, if we just take a step back and obviously Mr Richards has now had his last game as director of rugby and we, we've moaned and groaned a lot. But I think on the whole, we have actually got to say thank you to him because... He spent a decade in that position at the club and I think with the resources he's had behind him, he's not obviously going to boast about the fact that he got relegated twice, but we have had some very good years. We finished fourth one season, we had those excellent Heineken Cup games that we'll never forget. And um, I do think that one of the great things about what he's built at the club over that period, it's not just the um, first team, it's the academy and the conveyor belt of excellent players that keep coming through. And it really is the envy of a lot of other clubs, our academy. And it really does give you some pride in what the club's all about, um, even if the results on the pitch aren't always great. Yeah, well, I mean, it, 
the very top level of any professional sport, you've got to be judged on results. So if you take it recently, you, you know, I think our critics, our criticism, others' criticism, has been right because at the end of the day, if you're top level professional sport coach and the results aren't there, you, you know you, that's the nature of the job. You know you should get criticism. But as he just said, he's been there a very long time, and there have been some very good moments. There have been a lot of positive points, and I think you know we've got to be fair and reasonable, and we can't just kind of look at the here and now, no matter how disappointing it is, and look back on the on those previous years. And there were some very good moments. Um, we recovered well from the two relegations. I I think in many ways that was the best thing. And obviously, again, the Hanukkah Cup finished fourth was really good, but I think in some ways that was a not fully luck, but there was elements of kind of luck and narrow results, flash of the pandas, if I can call it that. But I think the way that we in the two seasons where we got when we were back promoted, they weren't massively comfortable for large periods of the season, but we didn't look like we were going to get relegated. And I think for a club like, like us you know, scant resources and just being promoted on those occasions, that is actually really, really good. And that we all know that that's a lot harder said than done because we've seen it so many times over the years, not so much now, but a few years ago, you used to get teams yo-yoing up and down, for example, your Leeds, your London Irish and your Worcesters, not so much us though. And I think that is a really good achievement. I think the one is the one other positive, again, as you mentioned, is the academy. But the, the question is uh, what we do with all this great talent coming through. Um, you know, on one hand, I suppose it's positive for the club if if they do make a profit on some of these players and sell them, but ideally we want them playing for us for many years to come and making the making the team better. So, uh, but I think that's a major criticism, isn't it? How we sometimes let players slip through the gap and kind of got neither, for example, the case of Hayden Wood. Yeah, quite. And I think that um, on the whole, we've got to say thank you, but we all have scratching our heads a bit sometimes. Um, but yeah, we've had some very good memories over the last decade of his tenure. And um, I think that, yeah, we've, we've got to be grateful despite poor season here and there. This one included, unfortunately. If we stop talking about some of the off-field movements and talk about some of the on-field ones then um got a new player coming through another josh this one josh barton so we've had josh basham leaving josh barton join him and the other couple of joshes that we talked about a couple of weeks ago so um i don't know whether they got stuck in the phone book at a certain letter of the alphabet or whether um it's just a coincidence but it did seem a bit of an odd signing for me because if you remember we've already signed simpson this summer who's a rather aged scrum half by professional rugby standards but we've also got Nordi Clemetti has played a lot of game time, especially towards the end of this season. And then we've got um, young Blackett as well. So is it the final cheerio for Stewart? Or do we need five marks in a team? What's actually going on there? It seems like we're, we're loading certain positions up with players where we've already filled them. Yeah, that's... that's- one of the things is that we seem to be signing players in positions where um, well, we're not really sure we need immediate strengthening. I mean, it's always nice to have new players, but um, considering the limited finances of the club, I think questions maybe need to be raised as to are we spending them in the right areas, uh, especially when we've had a few duds, well, I wouldn't say dud signings, but um, I suppose Brown's a bit of a dud signing, but that's an example of a player who threw a lot of money at in a position we didn't necessarily really need his strengthening in, and it was a failure, or going for players like Burrell, who certainly has played well at times, but is injury-prone, coming towards the end of his career, again, probably one of the higher earners. Obviously, Josh Barn is not going to be a higher earner, but it's, again, it's spending money in a position where we don't necessarily need it, and you're raising a point about Sam Stewart. As far as we're all aware, where he's still very much involved in the club. So, again, that's another scrum off. Um, so, you know, where are all these players going to play? And it's 
getting to almost be able to like some of the second rows where we seem to have so many second rows that are, you know some of them just never seem to to play. Um, I don't know if they sign him as sort of. I, I mean, twenty four now, so he's deciding we one for the future. But you know, he did play against us in the nineteen twenty season and was in the championship team season that season. And you know, maybe the coaches have seen him then were impressed by him and think that he's ready to step up. But as we all know, it is a big step up from championship to premiership, and we'll just have to see if it's a signing that that works out. Really. Yeah. So I have to admit, he's not a player I'd heard of before. He- Signed, and I think, um, um, yeah, so well, he's come from Coventry. Um, when he played against us, I think, did he play for Hartbury or Doncaster? One of the two. Um, he's been Coventry the last couple of years and he's been good for them. Um, so you know, like, like I've said, you know, maybe it's a bit, of, maybe it's a bit of a low risk signing. You know, they've seen something in him, and hopefully, he can maybe make the step up. Certainly. Um, if we just look at another thing we've mentioned in the earlier weeks, we mentioned that Philip van der Volt had um, signed a three-year contract, which at the time we raised a couple of eyebrows because he's getting a bit long in the tooth, twilight of his career, and we thought, well, fair enough, he's had to commit himself to the club for three years at the end of his career. So jolly good stuff. And I think at the time we made a passing joke about him, I hope he doesn't get a career-threatening injury. And we certainly hope he hasn't picked one up. Notified the other day in the uh, pre-match press release, that he's picked up an ACL injury and as someone who's taken a year out of sport in their life due to an ACL injury and never been the same since, I hope it's nowhere near as significant as a full rupture because if it is, then it could very easily be the end of his career or certainly he won't be playing for a a hefty period of time and hopefully it's just a strain or a a minor tear or something where he can put his feet up and go back to South Africa, have some built on and then come back firing all cylinders for pre-season and September. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's not his fault if he has serious injury. But again, it's like I said before about are we putting the money in the right places? You know, we sort of half joke, you know, give him a three-year contract. I mean, we all we all really like him. We all think he's a really good player and he's a great servant to the club. But considering his age and his injury record, is that something we want to do? <laughs> it seems to backfire. Obviously, we have no idea how serious the injury is. Hopefully, it's something which just, you know, summer off recuperation and might see him toward, you know, some point this year, I guess, when, when the new season starts. But we'll just have to keep our fingers crossed and hope, hope for the best for him, really. Indeed, indeed. And um, one of the injury um, obviously just been picked up as Robinson. Um, hopefully it's just a minor concussion, but I'm sure we'll find out in the next few days. But like we said earlier, his, his suspensions haven't been discussed yet. But um, it's quite disappointing in a way that he's not in the England camp because had he been in the England selection, then I think I'm right in saying some weeks of his suspension would have been used up in the internationals in the summer. But obviously that's not the case and he's not part of the quintet that have made it through from our club into the England training camp. Yeah, I mean, putting to one side the disappointment Robinson isn't included because, I mean, if we just talk about him, I suppose, um, it is disappointing that he just hasn't seen being given another chance. Um, he got injured at the training camp and he was selected and he hasn't really done a lot wrong to not justify being selected again but it just seems to be overlooked all the time since that injury and it's really unfortunate for him I think he ended the season as the, the top line-out stealer as well so as far as I can tell I think he's earned his place at least in the training squad but you know, we talk about the five others who did get included um, McGuigan, Radwan, Wartrev, uh, Chick and Lamaya. My yes, my God, in the end, uh, all justified. I mean, and, and credit to them because it's a sign of quality players that, despite the team having a poor season, you know they are stand out in their position for for their country. Um, and 
I think it's also indicative that it shows that in many ways we have a lot of players in that the team who aren't that bad and the, the table doesn't reflect accurately on actually the quality they have. And in many ways, we do have a, a good core to, to that team and it just needs some improvements here and there to, to kind of get us firing up the league. And, you know, I think we criticise Eddie Jones with the players who just weren't good enough, they just wouldn't be picked, especially in a wider you know, rider arch and training squad. So I think they have been deserved. I think there is that is a positive for the seasons that we are bizarrely, despite even though we think we're not, it's probably our worst season for a while, we are getting regular England picks. And it'd be absolutely fantastic to see, you know, I doubt we'll see all five of them, but at least a couple of them on that plane to Australia in the summer. Yeah, it's obviously great. It's also great that they're from the northeast slash the academy. So um, once again, hats off to what Dino's built. If we talk about um, players that are deserving of being in teams, then we had a bit of fun this week. Um, a fellow podcast called The Rugby Collective um, brought together a number of podcasts. So we and seven others did a, a draft system for team of the year. So you'll have great fun. Ian will be retweeting it like mad when we up against other teams. But I think the, the strategy is that you vote for us um, against other teams when we come up in head heads. God knows what actually goes on in social media, but Ian's that that way inclined, so he'll be tapping away with his thumbs, and um, you can vote for us. But it was a reasonable way to spend an evening. Yeah, it was a nice way to spend. Uh, what is it? I was it? I was over with some other podcasts. It's nice podcast interfunction. Um, yeah. So basically, as Philip says, that's kind of how it works. Um, if you go onto the Rugby Collective Twitter page, I mean, I'll retweet it anyway as soon as I can, but um, you'll essentially see our team against another podcast team. Um, and I think, obviously, you're going to be biased and vote for us anyway. That goes without saying, but especially as we have two focus players in. But I think if you look at our team, I think you've got to say we're hot favourites. We, we've done ourselves proud in picking a, a stellar World eleven there. Well, well, fifteen. Sorry, um, um, but uh, yeah, um, do keep a lookout for that, and do do give it, do give our team a vote if you do see it. It's all it's all a good bit of fun, and it'd be nice to for us to actually win something. One final thing, I know I've ranted and raved about the state of professional rugby over the last um, few weeks, but once again, it's come to the fore. Obviously, we had our issues around the Christmas time with um, using the England money as a bridging loan for the club after the Boxing Day cut. Um, cancellation and we've got our one of one of our inside sources um basically told us that it was agreed with the players and it was a dodgy agent that broke it to the press and no one's really that hacked off about it um one thing that does cheese off players is when they don't get paid full stop and i think that's been the situation at worcester lately they've got their may pay packet almost a fortnight late which isn't too clever yeah, I mean, we spoke a couple of weeks ago in terms of how sustainable is professional rugby in this country. And I think we're just going to see more of this, aren't we? And I think Worcester is also, even though it probably doesn't have the biggest outgoings in terms of wages and whatever else, but I think they probably do tread a very fine line because they, they've spent a lot of money on players and squad clearouts over the past couple of seasons. They do have one or two very high earners, for example, Van der Merwe. So I think if things do go a little self-financially for them, that they they are in 
pretty bad trouble. They, they, they're on a very small tightrope. Um, but yeah, I think we're just going to see this more and more over the next year, next couple of years. Um, we're going to see clubs up and down the league have all sorts of problems. I'm not sure the salary cap um, remedy is going to be that much of a remedy, really. I think we're still going to see this over the next couple of years. And I, I don't mean to say interesting, see what happens, but it's actually quite worrying. But we'll just have to see what unfolds. And it just goes to show that, yes, there are very real problems with the Falcons, but there are other clubs which are also in a pretty sticky situation yeah um, you mentioned sustainability and if you just take out Newcastle and um, Worcester who obviously had those issues we just talked about um, one other club that historically has been a, a big club and um, not always a, a wash with cash but it's not an underperforming team in the league is Wasps and um, a couple of oh, been on the radar for some of us for a few months now but they've basically have these bondholders that hold the mortgage over the stadium and um, finance it and they were due to pay them all back at the end of May and it was assumed that that had gone through correctly and it was all going to happen. But it seems like these bondholders still haven't been paid. There's a £35 million financing they need to get for the stadium. No one's really talking to, I think, the London Stock Exchange where the bonds are listed on. It's not really any news on that. And then Wasp's accounts are late and all the rest of it. And I think it's probably investors trying to ramp up pressure to get a better deal for themselves, etc. But um, it really is bad um, that at the highest levels of the game. That Firstly, I think it's a bit shocking that it hasn't been covered in the national press at all, because it, it is one of these things where if it was a football club, there'd be all sorts of administration scandal, Daily Mail front page sort of stuff. But um, in the rugby press, it's not really been covered at all. And it's quite major. And if you look at some of the forums online, there's people talking about uh, whether anyone's actually going to lend the money, because they're losing about £10 million a year. Well, why would you ever lend to a, a company that's losing that much? And there's no obvious get-out on that one. They're going to keep losing it unless they suddenly treble their gate receipts or don't pay any of their players and go back to amateur, which obviously isn't going to happen. The Coventry City Football Club forum is quite an interesting one. There's one called Sky Blues, and they've got uh, an amusing thread on it where they um, have a number of people that basically hate wasps and the fact that they're tenants of wasps rugby. So they're chuckling away talking about how they're, they're going to end up buying the stadium at a knockdown rate and then flogging it or leasing it back to Wasps and all the rest but others saying that it'd be good to have Coventry rugby in the Premiership and amalgamate the two all sorts of stuff but overall complete mess is it avoidable? You'd like to think so but ultimately the money's got to come from somewhere and it's certainly not in the game Yeah well I'm not sure if you want to be successful in this country if it is avoidable because to, to compete at the top of the league you've got to spend the money so obviously they spend the money because they want to have a better team, more success, et cetera, et cetera, obviously. But they just they don't have the capacity to do that. Or well, it seems to be all that, you know, there's some very serious problems there. And I think for vast majority clubs, they don't have the capacity to do that. They, you know, they cut the cloth too short, essentially. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the point you raised with Wasps there, I think, is possibly the most high-profile one on the horizon. But like I said, it wouldn't surprise me if we see more of this over the next couple of years. Yeah, it used to be historically that Exeter were the only club that weren't making losses every year. They've joined the crew now, so everyone in the Premiership's making losses every year. Interest rates are only going one way at the minute. It's not down. Assuming the government will just keep inflating away the national debt, interest rates will follow. Um, so suddenly all these clubs will have even greater financing costs. And you actually look at it and you suddenly realise that the only clubs in the country that are financially viable are some of the championship ones. And at some point, you can't just have businesses that get more and more and more inflated negative balance sheets every year. If your balance sheet's in credit, you've got a problem. None of them have assets outweighing liabilities. And 
fundamentally at some point it's going to go pop and is it that they're just going to try clinging on to pump more and more debt into the game and then hope it'll never hope the hens will never come home to roost because at some point they will and you also have the whole of the professional rugby circuit in England getting wiped out in one fell swoop okay so the last time this season because we're not going to do podcasts about the semi-finals that we're not involved in we will do the scores roundup and then we'll do the table. So, lots and lots of points this weekend. The lowest scoring game had 30 points in it. And that being Leicester Tigers beating Wasps 20 points to 10. Exeter beat Harlequins 47-38. Gloucester beat Saracens 54 points to 7. Uh, the lesser about our game, the better. Sale beat Bristol 42 points to 19. And Worcester got that high-scoring victory against Bath with 43 points to 27. Um, that put, let's do the bottom upwards, shall we, for the table for the last one of the season, because um, that Worcester victory over Bath means that Bath finished bottom on 34 points, alongside us also on 34 points, but we were higher as a virtue of us having won six, whereas Bath had won five. Worcester's bonus point victory pulled them up into 11th place. They were bottom before that game. Um, Bristol then in no man's land on 48. Wasps having 60. London Irish slightly above on 63. Exeter Chiefs on 69. Sale on 70, Gloucester 73, Northampton then on 75 and fourth spot. In third were Harlequins with 80, second Saracens on 87, and in first place Leicester on 94. So not like the good old days where that means Leicester to lift the trophy. It means that first being Leicester play Northampton. That one is Leicester being at home, and that's 4.30 kickoff on Saturday afternoon. And then the other semi-final, we've got Saracens at 1.30 playing Harlequins. Saracens being at home by virtue of them finishing higher. So there we have it. Last podcast of the season. Obviously, we're going to have a couple of special ones over the summer. I think not only thank you for listening, but also thank you, Dean Richards, for your decade at the helm. And yes, looking forward to next year. So thank you for listening, everybody. Bye, everyone.